We have two dogs in our home. Aria is a two-year-old puppy who definitely needs help with her portions. And Nala is a 10-year-old dog who is living a great life and we want to keep feeding her well so she can hang in there with us for a lot longer. The farmer's dog makes it easy to keep them healthy, which can give you more quality years with them. The farmer's dog makes and delivers fresh, healthy dog food. It's recommended by vets, nutritionally balanced and made from human-grade ingredients in safe, clean kitchens. It's the best option for dogs at all life stages. It doesn't matter if your dog is young or old. It's always the right time to begin investing in their health, helping you live more healthy, happy, and full years together. You can get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash vanished. Let the farmer's dog know we sent you. Use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. Hey everyone, I'm Eric Quintana. Thanks for listening to the Up and Vanish trial series, The Trial of Ryan Duke. Today we've got some bonus content for you. Nina Instead and Philip Holloway sat down together to talk candidly about the Ryan Duke trial. It's a casual conversation, two people in the courthouse covering the trial, talking more openly about how the proceedings have gone and how the witnesses have been. Here's Nina and Phil. All right, Mr. Holloway, what do you got? My goodness, what a day. Today was wild. You know, I've... I've been part of, I don't know how many hundreds of trials, but, you know, I, <laughs> uh, I, I really don't know where to start. Um, you know, today was, what, Tuesday or, or Monday of, of week two, right? So yes, the, the 16th. Yeah, and so the prosecution rested their case. You know, the witnesses that they called before they rested were, you know, I, I don't know that they moved the needle very much. Um, and to be honest, after everything that happened today, I have to go back and actually was, I went back and looked through my Twitter feed because I was trying to live tweet as much as I could. Uh, just, to, just to remember, you know, what happened from one hour to the next. And, uh, but I tell you, skipping ahead a little, I've never seen, and we'll, talk, we'll come back to this, but I've never seen a jury just bust out in laughter oh. like, like we saw this it afternoon. It was crazy. Crazy. Uh, he was a great witness. You know, it, it, it's kind of like in, in, you know, in My Cousin Vinny, right? You've got, of course, it's a fictional movie, but, you know, you got some witnesses, like, you know, you try to go after them on cross-examination, and they just come right back at you and make you look like like an idiot. Like, yeah. if you, when you try to cross. And so that was, you know... I will just call him Ryan's uncle. He's not really an uncle. He's the significant other of, of Ryan's aunt. But they've been together for so long, they're basically, you know, uncle yeah. and nephew, right? So, yeah. uh, but he comes back at the prosecutor, and he's like, you, you know, I've got a ninth-grade education. you got to talk to me normal, you know? <laughs> and, and that's the kind of stuff that resonates, you know, yes, with, with the, jury. the jury. Absolutely. Yeah. And he comes across as credible, and, uh, you know, he... he talked in, uh, I, I'll say plain English, but being from South Georgia myself, I can say this, he, right. he spoke in plain South Georgia English. Yeah. And, uh, and, that, that. and that really, you know, resonated with the jury. But so starting out in the morning, you know, before they arrested, the prosecutor had to, uh, they had to do as much as they could to prove that the, to the extent they can, that the bone fragments were in fact terrorists. But I don't really think that much is in dispute. But they flew a witness, you know, all the way in from Texas. Yep. 
uh, basically, Franco. yeah, just to say that uh, they, uh, they couldn't really get a whole lot of good DNA, but they could basically identify them as, as female. And the defense, if you remember, didn't have a whole lot of cross-examination. No. So those bones, we know they're human, we think they're female, but we don't know definitively that they belong to Tara. We don't know definitively in terms of DNA, Correct. but I would say that given the circumstantial evidence in the case, particularly that you know, Ryan and Bo have both, you know, led investigators to the general area and said, this is where we burned her, right? Um, and then they, they had the GBI agent there with, to me, it looked like what we call those divining rods where people, you know, have That's these... That's what they, they were dowsing rods. Yeah, they point to water. I mean, that that was interesting, but, you know, it didn't move the needle. But I think, I think you know, I think we can say... Um, that those are her bones, I mean, what else would they be? So circumstantially, that, that's been established. Right, but legally, Tara is still a missing person. She has not been identified for legal purposes. And that became an issue uh, when the state rested. <clears throat> there was the obligatory, you know, um, motion for directed verdict. The, the, the there's, in, in law, we have this idea of, you know, the, the corpus delecti, which is Latin, but it literally means the body of the crime. So if we're talking about a balanced check, the corpus delecti would be the actual document itself, okay? Right. In a murder, the corpus delecti is typically the, the, the body. Uh, and so Georgia's law basically is that you can't convict somebody on the uncorroborated confession alone. There's actually a statute on the books. And the, yes. re and the reason it's on the books is because our legislature long ago recognized the, the fact that people do falsely confess. Now, so you, and I'm going to explain this as best I can. It's kind of, honestly, it's, it's a, it's, it's a murky area of the law, but, but essentially a, a confession doesn't have to be, corroborated a lot, slight corroboration is enough. But when it comes to a homicide case, the corpus delecti requires more corroboration. So, for example, the, the glove itself could ordinarily corroborate, you know, the, the statement and, and other things, but the corpus delecti, it consists of more than just like the body, it, it, you, it includes like the cause and manner of death. Right. So we're talking about homicide. Well, we, we can't conclusively say, based on the evidence that's come out, that, it, you know, first off, you can't conclusively say it was her, but circumstantially, assuming it's her, nobody could say that those bones were, um, if they're human bones, that that was a victim of a homicide, number right. one. And certainly you can't say what the, the mechanism of the death was, strangulation or whatever. Right. You can't say when she died. You can't say how she died. You can't say where she died. We have proved none of that. We've made some assumptions in court. We've speculated. But I don't think that anybody has been able to say Tara's manner of death, where she died, or when specifically. Was it 1130 on Saturday night? Was it sometime on Sunday? We don't know. And that's why we've seen the defense, when they cross-examine these bone witnesses, you know, they, they just ask some simple questions like that, you know, to kind of drive home that point. So what they're doing is they're laying the groundwork for their um, their motion for directed verdict. And it's not that this, the confession or 
whatever you want to call it, is not corroborated because I think it is, but it's it's really this sub part, this more obscure piece of Georgia law that requires like additional corroboration regarding corpus delecti. And um, the judge ultimately denied that motion, but I, I honestly, I'm going to have to go back and think through this trial and I'm going to have to think through the, the evidence and I'm going to try, I, I don't know that I agree with that ruling and I'm not sure that I disagree with it really either. Um, because it's it's really an obscure point of, of Georgia law. So I want to emphasize that Ashley Merchant really went for it with her lobbying, if you will, for the directed verdict, that the state did not make their case, that they did not corroborate his confession. I mean, I, I, she was on fire. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> Ashley, among other things, is a really good appellate criminal lawyer. So she knows that in the event of a guilty verdict, this case is going to go up on appeal, right? Yes. So she's got to make a really good record. And so everything that she said and everything that she filed in writing is all part of the court's record. And so she's preserving this issue for potentially for the uh, Georgia Supreme Court, because that's where all murder convictions go on appeal is to right. the Supreme Court. So she's preserving that issue um, for a potential appeal in the event of a conviction. Absolutely. Now, but now let's just take a step back. Now, I was I want to ask you as a non-lawyer. So, if you're if you're like the elected chief judge right in the circuit, sure. And you got this case that's so like high profile. Um, you know, if if you grant that motion for directed verdict, right, and you throw out the. The, the Tara Grinstead trial yeah. on what people thought, oh, that's a technicality, you know. Yeah. Is, you know, uh, one person's technicality is another person's law, right? right. So, uh, you know, but that's a big, that would be a big, that's a big ask to ask a judge to toss out this case. Now, people were asking in the group on Facebook, if he had thrown it out, could Ryan be retried? No, a directed verdict of acquittal is an acquittal. So it's over. Yeah, it would, be, it would be over on double jeopardy grounds. Okay. But he didn't, you know, so that the jury's going to get to consider that. Now, what we still haven't heard, though, is there, there's still this lingering issue of statute of limitations on the yes. other charges. Now, the burglary, I, disposing of a body, aggravated assault, aggravated assault. Yeah, there's a handful of non murder charges that he still has hanging over him. And I think, and I think those charges are in deep trouble. Um, we've heard a lot of pretty conclusive. Um, proof now, uh, even in the state's case, like on day one, was it right where the GBI admitted that they actually did sort of have this scenario in their file and they just kind of overlooked it, yeah. and that started the clock ticking on on the statute of limitations. Um, but we don't. I, I kind of thought we might hear some of that in the motion for directed verdict, and I was wrong. I, but then I remembered something when we were sitting in court. I was actually doing a little legal research while I was trying to keep <laughs> yeah. one eye on the trial. You were also juggling a laptop. Yeah, and and uh, it turns out there there might be, there's potentially some exceptions, some things that would sort of maybe toll a statute of limitations from running. And so I think that if I had to guess, I would say the strategy is that maybe another defense witness or two might be called to try to sort of tie up 
any possibility of the state claiming that there's some exception and that the statute hasn't run. So we, I, I'm certain we're still going to see an argument about this, yes. a legal argument, uh, but it's going to apparently come at the end of the state's uh, the defense case now. Well, and speaking of legal arguments, we heard uh, Bo Duke's name in court quite a bit today, and there was talk of the defense wants to call him, the prosecution doesn't even want his name brought up to the witnesses or the jury, and we learned that John Merchant is working on a motion to allow them to call Bo Duke and let him... Bo Dukes and let him plead the fifth. Yeah, well, so he was on, Bo was on the witness list for both sides as, as for a potential witness. And we we saw that the district attorney is has provided Judge Reinhardt information from the lawyer who represents Bo Dukes. Says if he's called as a witness, he's yeah. going to take the fifth he's on everything. Gonna, yeah. And so... The prosecutor obviously wants to keep Bo out of this because, if nothing else, it creates a spectacle. But, right. but look, so look at it like this, though. If, if you're the defense lawyer and you get Bo Duke's ass in the witness stand and you say, isn't it really true that, that you're the one that, that killed Tara? And he goes, uh, on the advice of counsel, I, I take the fifth. That's great for the right. defense. They, they would love that. So You've got your reasonable yeah, doubt. The merchants aren't expecting Bo Duke's to come in there and... and Confess. break down and confess they want to hear him take the fifth yep. but they want it done in the presence of the jury yes uh and i think that's obviously from the defense that's great and normally that's what would happen right now the prosecutor has filed some kind of a motion apparently to prevent that from to happening to, to basically yep. keeping basically saying look if he's if he's got no relevant testimony why are we bringing him in here in front of the jury do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all of that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Warmer, sunnier days are coming. And you can fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for the summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. So make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? 
with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon, and keep the kitchen time to a minimum. Factor meals are ready to go in two minutes, so no shopping, no prepping, no cooking or cleaning up. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. Head to factormeals.com UAV50 and use the code UAV50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code UAV50 at factormeals.com UAV50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. today, and I don't know if you caught this, that Bo Dukes is being held in Ben Hill County right yes. now. Yeah, I knew that. Okay. That's just, well, I mean, they don't want him and Ryan in the same county jail. No, but he's being held one county over, which to me says they're looking at him being called in this Yeah, they, case. Did, a, they did a production order. The judge has to, he's, he's, in, he's in the state prison system, but right. they have to do what's called a production order where they, you know, the, the local sheriff will go and basically borrow a prisoner from right. the from the state prison system and so he's he's here he's, he's yes. basically in the area available but the, the prosecutor doesn't want him in the courtroom no and so john merchant apparently you know at the end of the day the judge wanted to kind of talk about that but this this was a little bit of a surprise move i think by the prosecutors and the merchants just said look judge we want to be able to do some research give us till tomorrow to respond to this right. and, the, and the judge said okay fine uh, the judge kind of wanted to take it up today, but uh, sounds like eight thirty tomorrow morning. Yeah, yeah. He and and I, I was on the drive over uh, this afternoon. I was thinking about that, and that will really completely alter the trajectory of this trial. Yes, it will. Because there's a lot of things that you could say are potentially reasonable doubt, but the merchants have an opportunity to. Uh, basically get it across the goal line if if Bo Dukes takes the stand yes. and they make him look like yeah the bad guy that he yeah. is well and I you know I've been sitting like you were today 10 feet from Ryan and Ryan to me seems harmless there's no malice resonating off of Ryan and I have a feeling that if Bo Duke came into the courtroom, he's going to have a different aura and a different effect on the court than Ryan does. Well, you know, if, the, if he comes in the courtroom, then the question is, does the prosecutor ask the judge to put him in street clothes or something right. like that? Because, you know, Ryan's wearing a suit. Yep. Uh, suit you can't, you can't have a criminal defendant uh, on trial in, in jail clothes. Right. But you can have a witness testify in jail clothes. Right. And so the, but that could be prejudicial. So the... You know, the, that's the whole point. Of, of you, you always want to prejudice the other side's case. So the, the merchants would want him brought in and shackles, shackles, and and down, iron, yeah, an orange jumpsuit and the whole whole nine yards. Uh, and um, uh, that you know, so that would be quite the spectacle. It would make for certainly great television. Yes, uh, it would. You know, just the visual of it alone. 
but um, the DA is pulling out all the stops to keep Bo out of the courtroom. It's all, and it's the same. It's the same pair of prosecutors that put him in prison for twenty five. It's almost like they're acting as his advocate now, um, which is kind of weird. Well, and speaking of the the prosecution today, we saw some fired up J.D. Hart and fired up Brad Rigby. Brad was almost yelling, and we'll get to it later, but Brad was almost yelling at a couple of witnesses today. I'm sure he was under the guise of speaking loud and clear for the court, but uh, Ashley called a psychologist to the stand, Talitsky, and uh, J.D. was was animated in her cross-examination of him. Yeah, so we're now moving into the defense case, right? So their first witness was their... Let's face it, the judge wouldn't let him be referred to as a false confession witness, but that's what he was. was. And he is an expert in the field of of false confession. And the prosecution fought having him listed as an expert witness. They fought tooth and nail. They've had pretrial hearings on this to get preached. And the judge is not a fan of false confession theory. Uh, Understood. It it seems almost like he thinks that it's cockamamie bullshit. Uh, (laughs) But He's he's not wrong. Where see there are certain things that you know that are said to invade the province of the jury and that go to the ultimate issue of guilt or not. And so sometimes expert witnesses, the courts say, well, you, you can't quite go that far with this opinion testimony. So the, the judge is he, he's he's not you know legally wrong necessarily, but let's let's face it, J.D. Hart went after this. On, on cross-examination, she went after him hard. She did. Ashley's direct was real short, a lot shorter than I thought, because she was operating under some serious constraints that the judge had her under for what she could and couldn't get into. Yes. So then comes J.D., right? And she couldn't help herself, but she really aggressively. It was. And with, like, righteous indignation was cross-examining this man. And he was just sitting there. He was, he's, he's calm. Yeah. He was very, um polite and respectful but she was like just going after him and and she kicked the door wide open to because she got him talking about the the read uh technique of police interviews right and and when she did that i you and i were sitting there next to each other i think i sent you a text i'm like yeah and she just kicked the door wide (laughs) open she did uh and i was i'm like and and I, i could see the merchants kind of like at their table and i'm like yeah they saw it too they did and so they were able to get into a lot more with him after the prosecutor kind of went a little too far in cross-examination. Well, but the judge made Ashley like mock cross or mock question him while the jury was out of the room, and then the, they brought the jury in and did it all over again. Well, so that was smart, I think, and and on Ashley's part, okay, that yes. we call that a proffer. So. Uh, the way it would, let's just say the judge had said, okay, he's not going to be allowed to say any of this stuff. Right. Well, in the event of a conviction in the appeal, unless you have the actual testimony taken down by the court reporter in the record, then the court of appeals doesn't even know what it is they're being right. asked. And so, so, right. so you have to take the testimony outside the presence of the jury anyway. And Ashley said, look, judge, why don't you just let him tell you? Yes. Because he can explain it better than me. And he was he was a good witness. He did not get flustered, even though I think I think a lot of people would have gotten flustered the way that J.D. was approaching him. He took his time. He said, now, is this what you're asking me? Because he wanted to answer the question and not go off on a tangent as opposed to what she was lo- actually looking for. 
We're in the hotel bar here, and we're having a, a couple of sodas. Well, it might have refreshments. A, it might be a hard soda, but um, <laughs> uh, it, yeah. In a minute, I'm gonna have to get another one because it was just one of those days. But look, the the proffer went really well, and I don't know if you picked up on this, but Judge Reinhardt was literally like up on his elbows, was like listening very intently yes. to this man, and it was almost like you could see that the judge was being, you know, he's being open-minded. He was allowing himself to be educated yes. by this expert. Yes. And and so while the judge was firm, he said, well, we're not going to get into false confession theory. This is a this is an expert. He's a psychologist and he's right. trained. And, you know, he can he can talk more now about the specific things that he saw that were problematic with this specific interview. Yes. I'm not going to let him talk about false confessions in general, but let's face it, that's what they did. It is. So they so they were able to essentially get in their false confession witness, I, I think probably 95% of everything they wanted, simply because the prosecutor's cross-examination went too far. Yes, it did. So that, you know, that, that took most of the, I mean, I'd say that was by far the longest witness. Um, yeah, he took up a, a big chunk of this afternoon. You know, and a lot of that was the prosecutor... I tried to watch the jury because when you when you cross-examine a witness, how you do it is almost as important, if not sometimes more important than, than like what you say, right? Yes. So your style and your demeanor, uh, the jury doesn't like to see you attack a likable witness. No. And he was a likable man. He was. He was. He. I, I felt like he came came across as almost gentle. And they wanted to make a big deal about, you know, he's like a hired gun for these yeah. defense sleazy defense lawyers. And Ashley pointed out with some of her later questioning that, look, you know. Um, he works for Department of uh, he, Family and Children's Services. He gets appointed by judges yeah. to do evaluations, psychological evaluations yeah. on, uh, on it, in juvenile court for troubled kids and this, that, and the other. And so... You know, and he he was really good too because he's this is not his first rodeo either, right? So he 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 made it a point to say, look, you know, I would, I, yeah, they that was brought into this case by the defense, but I told him going into it that I can't guarantee right. you a result. I find what I find, and I can tell you in my own experience as a practicing criminal lawyer. When I was a prosecutor, we had to do it this way, and it's the same thing as defense. If you if you need an expert. And you talk to one, maybe that expert doesn't give you the, you know, what you what you're hoping what you're for, for, right? Yeah. So you just you don't use that with you just right. so. Use a different one. But and, you know, he he said, look, I, I told him going into this that my opinions are going to be my opinions, whether yep. you like them or not. Yep, he was candid. And 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 that's how a reputable expert yes. witness uh, works. Yes. So he came across to me as really strong. I agree. I agree. Little, it, it seemed to go, you know, sitting in court, his testimony seemed to go on maybe a little longer than it needed to, but I think it was important to get in from him what they got. The merchants were just sitting there letting her, yep. giving her enough rope. Yep. You know, uh, and and um, she asked, when, I knew when she started getting into the read technique that... The judge didn't apparently know a lot about the read technique, but he got, he got an education. He uh, you know, and Reed is 
is frowned upon is, at least in my view, I mean, um, and we've talked about this before, but he made it a point to emphasize things without, without criticizing the read technique by name. He pointed out to the jury that it's better to ask open-ended questions than to ask leading questions that right. would suggest an answer. Especially when we're talking about our guilty knowledge subjects like the phone call, um, the glove, how you know, was Tara struck, the, the things that some people think that Chagall was fed by Bo Duke. Bo Dukes. Yeah. And he had already testified that based on his uh, assessment of Ryan that his personality type was one, like, he, he's not necessarily the type to kind of push back. He's more of like, you know... A, 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 a people pleaser. He's a pleaser, not a debater, right? Right. And he's um, anxious. And he's got, yeah. And then he also talked about how um, people who have taken a lot of drugs but who are addicts with a high tolerance can still appear to be functional, but, but those drugs still have some effect on right. their... But their body's so adjusted to the dosage of the medication that it, it affects them differently. I don't know how much the defense is going to, like... I think that that's sort of a piece of this, but I don't think the defense is really going to argue to the jury all that strongly that he did this because he was high. I think that's just one small piece of it. Well, the, the confession being because he was high, and, and I want to go on to the witnesses that followed him. We had uh, Billy Bars come in briefly to look at that front door again. And yeah. enter some new pictures into well, not enter new pictures into evidence. Were they new? Well, I think so. I, and think honestly, where one? we were sitting, I or couldn't a different one. I couldn't see it all that well. So this picture that they entered in showed her front door, and it showed the deadbolt that can only be locked and unlocked from the inside. Right, and 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 when when we saw the state's case in chief, we saw this lock on the door, but it wasn't the best picture in the world. Agreed. And I remember thinking, well, I wish I had a better view of that. But there was there there was a photo with a better view. Yes. And you don't here's the thing, you don't in order to get a picture into evidence, you don't have to have the photographer. Mm -mm. You just have to have someone who can say that this is a fair and accurate yes. representation of Which what it what looked Bars like at the time. Back in for today. And Bars was an Osceola police officer at the time. Yep. He was not GBI. But over the break yesterday, they did their homework and they contacted Bars yep. and they said, "Hey, we, you know." And Bars was like, "Yeah, I mean, I can identify that." And yeah, so he was on the stand for maybe two minutes. Yeah, and, and the only reason they called him was to. I, I think that during the trial, and this this it always happens to the lawyers. Like as the trial goes progresses, through its, yeah, through its course, yeah. You know, you, you, you realize, you know, okay, maybe we need to go back and clean this up a little bit. Yeah. And so that's what... Tie up some loose ends. And that's what they were doing. They were, um, I'm sure, getting feedback from people that are watching the trial. Um, you know, they have their paralegal in court. They're, they talk with each other after hours um, and, um, and at night. And so they realize that, hey, we really need to hammer home that this whole... You know, getting well, in the door with a credit card doesn't make sense. And I want to say, as someone who's been sitting in court for the past two and a half weeks, 
I did not realize what kind of bolt was on the door. I thought it was one of those flip latches like you see at a hotel. It's a deadbolt like you see at a hotel where there's no no access to the bolt from the outside, only the inside. Yeah, and I think that was a huge point that needed to be underscored. Yes, I agree. Um, can we? Can anybody say that? At the, you know, if she was killed in that house, and that is an if. Yeah. Can anybody say that she absolutely had both locks? No, we can't. But we've already heard that that was sort of her typical practice. It was. She and, was safety conscious. Yeah, conscious. And, and and so I think the jury was probably thinking in all likelihood she bolted that lock. Yep. And there ain't no way you're going to no, you defeat that with that. a... No, Not with a credit card. And the, Oh, and by the way, the, the, the expert witness did a good job of using that as an example. Like the... the Agent Shadell is the one who introduced the credit card into the conversation. Yes. Uh, that was not something that Ryan just sort of blurted out. It was an idea that originated with the investigator. Yes, and I've seen people asking, you know, Ryan was such a sad sack in 2005. Did he even have a credit card? And, and I think that's a fair question. They asked Shadell on Cross, you know, did you even run a credit report to see if he had credit? Right. I, I doubt it. I doubt it, too. Uh, I would be quite. I mean, and we, and we. It was in. It was in evidence that he didn't have a driver's license. Yeah. So it's. So if you don't have a driver's license, and you don't have a credit card. What do you use them? In, in, unless you're staying here at this hotel that uses, you know, yeah. a key card. The key cards, but you I know, don't know how common those were in. Well, he lived in a trailer. In, okay. <laughs> out in. Uh, yeah, so he probably <laughs> no, wasn't checking into a lot of no, hotels with key no, cards. No, he. he he probably didn't have a... He probably didn't have a library card. No, I wouldn't imagine. So our next two witnesses were Tara's neighbors from 2005. We had a Mr. Harper and a Mr. Olmstead. And they provided some interesting testimony about Tara's vehicle. And for those of you who don't know, Tara drove a very distinctive Mitsubishi 3000. It was a white sports car, and it's not something you'd see a lot of in rural Georgia. No, you don't. And it stood out, and people knew that car. And so, if you go back to opening statements, um, Ashley Merchant told the jury that that car wasn't there. She did. At the time, the state alleges she was killed in that house. And so, they, they called these two guys that lived across the street. And by the way, I, I, I drove past today on the way back from the courthouse, I drove past the house Tara's where house. Tara had lived. And I, I wanted to see it, but I also wanted to see what kind of view of the garage those guys would have had from across. And it's and that, that what they said in court was true. It's like that we had a very clear view they of did. that garage. And they did. And and they both they both said that they were sure that, you know, that Saturday morning that the car wasn't there. Sunday morning. Sunday morning, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Sunday morning the car wasn't there. They got up and went to the, the corner store, which was his habit mm-hmm. on the weekend. And then later in the day, they went to Wendy's to grab dinner, as one does. And when they came back from Wendy's, it was dusk. It was 5.30, 6, 7 o'clock. The car was back. You know what I want to know? Where was that Wendy's today when we needed it at lunchtime? No I did kidding. not know there was there's limited. Very, it, limited places to eat in those silos. But anyway, it, you know, they were... They, the prosecutors cross-examined them, but their style was very different. They, yes. they didn't get aggressive with these guys. They tried to point out that, well, 
your memory today might be a little different than it was when you talked to the GBI right. in 2005 or six. But they had their statements from 2005, 2006 to refresh their memory, which is what they did with previous uh, witnesses. Yeah. So they, they, they quibbled with them and they, they may have made some dents around the edges yeah. of their testimony, but when you, when you have both of these guys saying basically the same thing, you know. Yeah, and these guys are citizens. They're working. They're they're you know regular guys that live to happen to be roommates that lived across the street from Tara. <laughs> it was funny because they asked one of them, "It's like, well, how old were you in 2005?" And he, he was he could just see the like. Uh, I, I, what I wanted him to say, I wanted him to say, "Well, you didn't tell me there was any math on this quiz," <laughs> but uh, you know, um, but they were basically trying to point out that it was 17 years ago. Right. Right, and they were in their early twenties. And memories fade. And memories do fade. And and that, and I, I think I put this out on Twitter that this is an example of why it can be so hard, you know, to try cases that are this yes, old. Yes, cold cases that, that are almost two decades old. Some witnesses go away. Some pass some die. Memories um, here. Is a, is a prime example. I well, would love to hear from she's her. Still alive, she's still alive, but she's is. in a she's what memory well. care? Yeah, she's not well. Uh, where you had lunch today was next to Mr. Fortier's office, wasn't it? You know, I saw it said the Portier Agency, uh, and I thought, I'm, I'm, I asked myself, I'm, I was like, you know, is, was, is that his office? And I think it probably was. Could be. I mean, how he said he's still working. Yeah. I mean, and that's just how small this town is. It is. Um, and then we had, let's see. Oh, oh, then we had Jerry Williams. Oh, my gosh. He so, was a treasure. All right, so After you're, a long day. I want to, before I tell you what I think about him, I want you to say what you, first off, who was he and, and what did he mean? So Jerry Williams was, follow me here, he's Ryan's father's sister. So Ryan's paternal aunt's significant other. When they asked you all married, no, we're not married. Um, he was the owner of the trailer where Ryan was living in 2005, and Ryan lived there with his brother and his father, who had just taken a job in Alabama. So his dad was sort of back and forth. A bunch of people packed in there. A bunch of people packed in there. Then we find out that this uncle went over there to fix the air conditioning unit and found out that Bo and Ben, and the prosecution was really hell-bent on keeping this out, but... Apparently, Bo was causing problems yeah. with the neighbors. There were noise issues and other issues. So he was over there to fix the air conditioning and, and maybe kick a little yeah, ass. Well, he went over there to kick Bo out. Yep. Bo was, he found a out problem. that Bo had been, like, I think a few days, maybe a week before, he found out Bo had been staying over there. And he's like, I don't want Bo over there. No, and he was causing problems for other tenants. So he goes over there, and there's apparently some kind of an altercation, verbal altercation yeah, verbal or whatever, altercation. With, with, between... Um, let's Jerry. just call him Jerry, the, the step almost uncle yeah. guy, uh, and 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 Bo. That appeared to be a heated argument, but the prosecutor was trying to keep that piece of it yes. out. You know, and and Bo and Ben ended up leaving the scene in a black pickup truck. Yeah, and we did a podcast episode in season I one heard about called that. the Black. I think it, I think the name of it was what the Black Truck or something along those lines. Yeah, and that's all I could think about. And and so so what, wait wait wait. I just oh, wanna, I want no no. I want listeners to understand. It's somewhere between eight forty five 
and 10.30 on Saturday night. Yeah, sometime before midnight. Yeah, but probably closer to 9.45-ish. And Jerry tells Bo to get out, take Ben with him, and these two leave that, leave that trailer in a black pickup truck. And if you're wondering where Ryan is at this point, he is literally passed out next to the toilet in the bathroom. Jerry even says he goes in and picks him up by the hair and drops him. He, he said he, his words were, he was, he was out. He was out. He, he wanted to check and make sure he was still breathing yeah. he was so out. Yeah. So that's where Ryan was at 945 on Saturday night, whereas Bo and Ben are taken off in a black pickup. So, and I think they testif- he testified that it was around 1030 or 11 that Bo finally left in that black truck, right? Yeah, but the next witness backed that time up a little bit, which is why I'm more comfortable with, like, 945 In any event, we're talking about Ben and Bo, with, yes. particularly with Bo being in an agitated state. Yep, he's, he's, he's got he's his mad. back up. Yep. He, he, I think the word, he, he bowed up on me. Yep, and, that's what and he that's, said. So, and that's literally hours before they say that Tara was Attacked. killed in the middle of the night. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I wonder if... I wonder if in season one of Up and Vanished, if it wasn't much closer to the some of these theories that were explored, right. maybe were more closer to, closer to the, the truth, truth than what we maybe we later were, were led to believe by prosecutors yeah. and cops. Because those, if, if you believe those two, but oh, because the next witness, by the way, was the the aunt, right? Yeah, who was Linda. who? Jerry's lady. Jerry's lady. Yeah, and. She got into it with J.D. Hart, too, a little bit. And she, oh, no, no. She was cross-examined by Rigby. Oh, yeah. Who was literally shouting at her. And I'm sure he was shouting at her, making air quotes, under the guise of being loud enough for the courtroom. But it was I, I was uncomfortable listening, oh, to yeah. him, you know, listening to him question her because he was so loud. Yeah. There was there was an edge to his voice, and and she and, and but she made a point to tell him in no uncertain terms that no, I was standing right outside the door. I heard the whole thing. Yep, she heard everything. So there was a there was a verbal altercation, and so he Bo leaves mad with Ben, mm-hmm. and he's in a black truck. Yep. And Ryan, meanwhile, is dead to the world, yep. almost literally dead, in an, an extremely inebriated. And his state. brother, Ryan's brother, was asleep. He did. He said, but they both said they didn't see Stephen. Is that his name? Yes. They didn't see Stephen. He was asleep, and Ryan is literally passed out, face down, next to the toilet. J.D. Hart, the prosecutor, she tried her best to to keep these witnesses from testifying because she. she so the, the, the merchants filed what's called a notice of alibi, and under towards the law, you got if you're gonna claim alibi at trial, you, you can't ambush the prosecutor. You gotta tell them basically you know, yeah, where where your where your client was, what they were at what time and, and, and who can corroborate it and who the witnesses would be and all this. And so when when Jerry first started testifying, uh, JD wanted to have a sidebar conference and she was basically saying, look, they're basically using this person as an alibi witness. They didn't list him as an alibi witness. He's on their witness list. But Ashley's like, we're not saying, this is the 22nd. This is before midnight. Right. We're saying this, this, we're, the, the 23rd is the relevant day, which Correct. is just a few hours later. Yep. And the judge was like, you could, you could just see him like rolling his eyes like, why are you objecting to this? He, she's clearly not calling him as an, as a, an alibi witness. Well, and, and I... When you were a younger man, did you ever get just really, really wrecked 
and end up on the bathroom floor. Uh, can I take the fifth? You can take the fifth. No, but I've taken the fifth. I've no, ended up there. No, yes. So <laughs> I, I, I remember one time. I don't think it was a bathroom floor, but it was the front yard of a fraternity house. <laughs> and about you know, in in in, the, in a similar condition. Yes. So were um, you were you well enough to get up and drive no. and Jimmy a door? No. Hell no. 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 Mm-mm. No. The idea of just getting into bed seemed overwhelming. Yeah, and so the idea that he's going to be able to ninety minutes later <laughs> get get into a, a, some kind of a vehicle. Oh, by, oh, steal the truck of Bose that wasn't there. Yeah, remember, the, the black truck remember, was already in, left. in the confession, he, he's like, well, Bo was asleep, and I went and got his keys out of his pocket, and I took his truck. Yeah, I don't think Bo was going to turn around and come back, not when, when Jerry is, you know, puff, you know yeah. Jerry was puffed yeah. up going, get out of right, here, kid. Right, right. He's not coming back for more of that. So because, because St- Stephen cannot... Definitively say, you know, I saw because he was passed. He out. It was they were, it was middle of the night. They were all asleep, right? So it's 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 an alibi, but it's an imperfect alibi. It is. So they were trying to sort of corroborate this a little bit by, by these people saying they saw Bo drive off in a heated state, you know, yep. sometime before midnight, a couple hours before midnight, whatever. Yep. Well, and Ryan was in no condition to break into anything. Yeah. And, and Ryan has said repeatedly he does not know how he got, you know, he doesn't remember how he got to the how do you How do you steal the keys out of somebody's pants pocket who's already driven off in the truck? Right. And I, if Bo came back to that house, he was not taking off his pants. So this leads us to what's coming next. And we still haven't heard from Stephen, who's the... Correct. The brother of, of Ryan. Yes. And, and Stephen has been, when he was allowed in the courtroom, very attentive to his brother. He, he's been, you know, a support, and they're in court until they asked him. They said, look, you can't be here because you're going to testify. And he was very nicely asked to leave. Didn't he testify, though, in Bo's trial? I don't know. Uh, I need to go back and look at that. But he's clearly given statements to the, they know what he's going to say. Yeah. It, I mean, and... I, I, it doesn't take a super genius to figure out that that he's not going to be able to say I was curled up in you know in the same bed and watching my brother sleep. He's not you know so he, he he's not that kind of rock solid alibi. So right. But but being being able to bring in these aunt and uncle so to speak to say yes. that they they watched Bo drive off mad right in the black truck. That's huge. It is. It is. And I think that Ryan was that inebriated that early on Saturday night, it, it makes it, to me, I couldn't see him leaving the house and going and doing anything remotely organized. No, not if you believe um, Aunt and Uncle. To, 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 and, oh, and, oh, let's go back to Jerry for a minute. Oh, Jerry was great. He, he had the jury laughing out loud. He had the whole courtroom laughing. I mean, it was, I had my hand over my the face. The judge was laughing. It, yeah, I mean, I didn't want to be disrespectful <laughs> in the courtroom, but oh my goodness, he was a riot. He was not taking anything he from used JD. A little, he used a little profanity on the witness oh, stand. And the judge didn't even no. admonish him. No. Because that's just how he is. Yeah. He's just being himself, right? Yeah, he, he, you know, he reminded me of that kid in your in your class when you're in middle school that's just always got the, have the last word. Uh-huh. And that, that's who he reminded me of. He kept getting the last word in on JD, and she was just getting madder and madder and more, you know, 
And she even said, you're, you're, you know, I don't know how she referred to Linda, but it was basically, y'all talked about me. No, we haven't. Y'all, y'all, she doesn't like me. She said, no, she hasn't. I mean, it was, Mm -hmm. he was not giving her an inch. And so, did you notice that when he, when they finally decided that they weren't going to have their Perry Mason moment with him, they let him leave, (laughs) uh, and on the way out, he... He was literally walking off the witness stand, out of the courtroom, walking in front of the jury, and he said something to the jury. Yeah, it's like, did y'all hear me? Yeah, I mean, it's like, that's I've never seen that happen. No. And the judge didn't get mad either. Jerry was a bright spot in today's court. You don't, I, I have never in my life seen a jury laugh like that in, in a serious murder trial. Yeah. And it was truly a remarkable moment what it was what it means in the end remains to be seen sure but it was certainly noteworthy um and makes me wonder what's coming the rest of the week what do you think I, you know I, I think the big question is will Bo be called will they allow him to be called into court i think that's and, and honestly i think that's what listeners want to know too but we have to take a wait-and-see approach because it, it all depends. Mr. Merchant's got the brief that he's working on. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, we're sitting here having a, a, a beer right now, but they're, they're back. The, the lawyers are working on this, um, trying to figure out how they can convince the judge to... Because the judge seems like... I don't, my read of him was that he was on the fence on this. He doesn't really know what to do. Yeah. Um, well, and I, want to I know what I would do, but I don't know what he's going to do. I, well, and I want to emphasize, we cover the case. You know, we're paying attention all day in court, um, trying to live tweet and be active in the group and keep listeners informed. And it's exhausting. Oh, like, yeah. I can't imagine being one of the lawyers because their day, you know, our day ends and we get to come sit in the hotel bar and have a drink. They're still working. They're right, you know. They're 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 scarfing down some dinner and working on motions and witness lists and witness prep. And talking to their client. Talking to their client at the jail. At, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, the um, amount of work. It's exhausting. And you know, and they're doing it all for for free. It's crazy. It's just. So are they doing it for free, or are they getting like a stipend from the state? No, I, I, to my knowledge, it's all. Wow. All donated time and effort. Wow. Now, um, Evan Gibbs, right? He's the, yeah. the third. The local boy. Yeah, he's local. Yeah. Now, he's with a big firm, and I forget which one. Don't put me on the spot. But some of these larger firms, like you find in the big cities like Atlanta, yes. they actually, you know, they have lawyers who are on the payroll. They get yep. paid a regular lawyer salary, do and, they do, and they do pro bono work. Yep. Um, Smaller firms, particularly like maybe like mine or maybe like a husband and wife team like the merchants, you know, it's hard enough for me to come down here for a few days and try to manage my practice too. Right. They're having to put everything on hold. Right. right. And they've got they've got a whole team down here. They've got their paralegal. Yep. I don't know who's answering the phone, if anybody, at their office right now. Like I said to Brad today, this is good TV. When Jerry was on the stand, that's good TV. <laughs> it, it's hard. It's hard in a podcast format to really um, describe that. And and I know that the people that listen to this are going to go and and find it on YouTube. And I hope they do because that's it. it even that though it would you that even watching the the replay of it on YouTube is not going to 
give you the full flavor of the moment. No, you're not gonna you're not gonna hear the people giggling in the row behind you in court. I was. <laughs> I, I did my best to try to look at the jury today and see how they were responding. And at some at certain points, some of them looked like they were half asleep, particularly you when. Know, when some of the technical stuff was coming in through the prosecutor. There was a listener in the audience uh, in court today, and she's a middle school teacher, and she said, that juror looks like he's sleeping. He his head was in his lap. Yeah, and I said, oh, I don't know, and she said, I teach middle school. I no, know he was asleep. Yeah. He had his head like... I couldn't see him. He was, he was like in right the back. behind J.D. for me. Yeah, yeah he I was in the back, did. and he was... He was his, it's like hunched up. He's hunched over. I want to see his, like the top of his head because his, he was... It's almost like he was had his if if he was sitting at a desk, it's almost like he had his head down on the desk. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not cool. But when 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 Jerry was testifying, everybody he was, was everybody was everybody was, was yeah, yeah. Everybody was alert. Um Jerry was a treat. Even the judge was laughing. That was just something truly. The prosecution special. was not laughing. They were not amused. No. Well, they here's what it is. They they want to accuse um, aunt and uncle of, yep. of coming in and saying, well, you never told this to law enforcement. And the aunt says, oh, yes, we did. And and they're like, you did? Who'd you tell? That lady right there. And they pointed to, to Ashley. <laughs> and of course, she's not law, law enforcement. No. But, but look, these are um, salt of the earth people. Yep. You know, uh, she said, well, I thought she was an important person in the case that needed to know. And, and She's not wrong. And she's not wrong, right. And so that was... She, it, it was. It was. The, the prosecutor was making a big deal out of semantics, and and you know, it, it, the jury's not stupid. They know that witnesses talk to the lawyers before court. Of course, uh, that doesn't mean that the lawyers are telling them what to say. No, no. Um, there's there's a difference between prepping a witness and turning a witness, if you will. Yeah, you don't tell them what to say. No. Um, and these individuals. So they, they cross-examined them on, you know, you never came forward and talked about this to any police officer, did you? Well, the other side of that coin is also true. The police have resources. They have phones. They have cars. They have recording devices, and they have pens and papers, and they can go and yeah, talk to— Those recording devices aren't very good. <laughs> they, 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 but they can, they can go talk to witnesses, yes. too. Yes, and, and they nobody, should have spoken to the and, the last people to see Ryan before this murder occurred. And no, they didn't. No. They didn't talk to him, right? No. No, and you know what? As a missing persons advocate, I work with a lot of families, and there are people who don't want to talk to the police for whatever reason. They're not going to volunteer information to the police. They're not comfortable. They're not going to do it. So the police need to be alert and focused and seek these people out that need to be talked to. So in a case like this, when so much is at stake, and what we really want is a fair trial, but we also want to know the truth. Yes. Should it be the defense lawyer who has to go out and, and seek additional witnesses with relevant information? Is it, is, or, you know, is, and, and I understand, I mean, as one myself, sometimes we have, to, but it, it's, it, it sucks that it comes to that. Because you like somebody else should have already talked to them. Yes, I, I agree that somebody else should have spoken to them first. You know, this is the largest file in GBI history, but they didn't manage to talk to Ryan's aunt and uncle, who owned the home he was living in. Yeah, you didn't talk to the person that owned the trailer that he and Bo Dukes were. Yeah, 
they've been described in the past as roommates, but it sounded more like Bo was more of like crashing. a, a cr he was crashing on the sofa. Yeah, he was a, he was a, he was a squatter. Yeah, you know? I think squatter is a good word yeah. for Bo. Yeah, I. My daddy was a defense attorney, and, and he had to chase people down sometimes. But no, it's not. This case went on for 17 years. They've had 17 years to talk to these witnesses. And they didn't. And we all can go back to the very first day of testimony with Chief Billy said, did you have a report of a burned body at Fitzgerald Farms in November of 2005? Yes, we did. And I think we're going to hear more about that. Uh, because the yesterday, I'm getting my days confused. Last week, I guess it was, there was talk about potential Zoom witnesses. Yes. Uh, and I was looking over the witness list, and and, and there's a an investigator uh, that's now I think lives in Alabama. Yep. That was um, uh, one of the ones that was involved in this. Um, let's just call it a, a search of the pecan orchard. The, gr the grid search. Yeah, and he went out there with Chief Deputy Nelson Paul, and so I think we're going to hear more from um, some law enforcement types, uh, but they're going to be called as defense witnesses to to provide a little bit more flavor and context to to this that the GBI has now admitted, but you know the prosecutor, of course, didn't. They didn't want to dwell on it, no. so the the defense is going to dwell on it a little bit more. Yeah. Well, and the defense needs to. They're they're building their reasonable doubt. That is their job right now. If but if Bo doesn't get to come in and take the fifth in the presence of the jury, that could be a game changer. I agree. So, if you'd asked me to like this morning, you know. If I had to handicap it, if I had to guess right then who's winning and who's losing, I'd say I'd give the edge to the defense, to be honest with you. Yeah. And then certainly after their expert was able to get in a lot more than they had, I think, thought that he was going to be able to get into, I would say that the defense would have the edge in terms of reasonable doubt. But I, I was when, I, when I've had that thought, I was thinking that, that they would have Bo coming in today or tomorrow in, in shackles, you know. Yeah and having him take the fifth in the presence of the jury. So if, if that doesn't happen, then that's a huge blow to their defense strategy. So then the question comes, uh, all right, so maybe they're thinking they weren't gonna put Ryan up as a witness, but that if the judge throws them that curveball and says, okay, you're not gonna let you bring Ryan, or I'm not gonna let you bring, bring Bo in here, do you then say, well, okay, well then maybe we have to rethink putting Ryan. Up. I don't know if I would want Brad Rigby or J.D. Hart to have a swing at Ryan. I think that's a gamble. Really? Yeah. Hey, it's Payne. I want to share a message from our sponsor, Spot Pet Insurance. Sometimes unexpected vet bills can hit hard when we least expect them. And if life throws you a curveball and your beloved pet needs urgent medical attention, the vet bills can start piling up. Enter Spot Pet Insurance, the ally you never knew you needed. Spot Pet Insurance plans can offer up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, providing a safety net when the unexpected occurs. Life can be unpredictable, and so are the needs of our furry companions. Spot Pet Insurance understands that. With Spot, you can focus on the things that matter, knowing that your pet has coverage to help protect your wallet from those unexpected vet bills. 
Spot Pet insurance plans don't just offer coverage for unexpected accidents and illnesses. You can add their preventative care benefit to your plan, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can all be covered too. It's a shield against the unexpected. If you have a pet, consider Spot Pet insurance because having the right resources at the right time can make all the difference. Just go to spotpet.com. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. So, I don't know that I necessarily, I don't disagree with what you said, but there's, I think there's another way to look like I, if I had to guess, I would say the cross-examiner would be J.D. Okay. And if what we saw with the expert witness was any indication of her style, yeah, we're going to see that. Yes, you would see it again if, with she, Ryan. if she cross-examines Ryan. Yeah. Rigby's louder, but he's he's a little bit more of a technician, right? And. JD goes real fast, and she sometimes doesn't let witnesses finish their answer, no. and they're talking over each other. And, yeah. But the, we haven't heard him say much, uh, anything really, but we've seen him in court a bunch, and, and right. Ryan is composed, and he's calm, he mm-hmm. looks polite, he looks gentlemanly. Mm-hmm. He um, does. He's not threatening. Yeah. And so if, if he maintains that demeanor... And if he takes a stand, and if he's got a, if he's got a believable and plausible reason for telling the GBI something that wasn't true, right? And, could, and if, and if he, he could can be a good witness, he, I just I, I, I just worry about oh, him going up, you know, going up against that cross examination worries me. Oh, of course it does. If you're the and if you're the defense lawyer, you're just like just biting your nails and just. You know, I have to say, I didn't come into this court, this, I did not come into this trial with any preconceived notions of who did it or who didn't do it. I heard Ryan did it. I heard Bo did it. I heard they did it together. I heard one did it and the other one didn't. So I came in real open-minded. And I have not seen a smoking gun in this case. I have no. not seen anything that made me look at Ryan and go, oh my God, he did it. 
So I'm, I'm feeling very open-minded and very optimistic for the defense. I've won a case before that I tried where there was, uh, I think it was three different conversations with police that were characterized as confessions. Um, and the jury just didn't believe the, um, they just didn't, they didn't believe it and they didn't, the, the, the officer didn't come across as credible. Right. And, and the story that I was told, I, I didn't see this, but I was told that the prosecutor, after the not guilty verdict, went back to his office and was like throwing the file around saying, oh, if I can't get a confession, I mean, when I got three confessions, if I can't get a conviction, what do I, I just need to quit, you know. Um, so, you know, they clearly can get frustrated. And if J.D. is the cross-examiner and we see that style, yeah. that some people like it, but it's off-putting to other people. Yeah, there's been real mixed reviews of J.D. in the Up and Vanish discussion group on Facebook. Real mixed reviews. I don't mind her, but there's a lot of people that have strong feelings about her. Well... She's, she's, she's had advanced trial advocacy training. That much is obvious just from, just from me watching her. But honestly, as a, as a lawyer looking at this, it, it has reminded me that just because you can go after somebody in a certain way doesn't mean you always should. Agree. And sometimes less is more. Have you noticed how many objections she makes compared to the oh, defense. Yeah. The, the prosecution is constantly objecting. Constantly. And in, and, inter in, in interrupting the flow, and today I noticed in the middle of what was a really good point by the defense, Brad just happened to drop a folder on the floor. So everybody got distracted and looked over. And I'm not saying that that was malfeasance of any kind, but it was, seemed like a coincidence mm -hmm. that they were in the middle of making a really solid point in the case and he's dropping stuff on the floor. Well... And, you know, it, you do wonder if that was legit or, or not. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like when, you're, when the football team is out of timeouts and somebody rolls oh, their ankle. Maybe. Oh, yeah. no, you know, yeah. then, the, then the clock gets, just, yeah. So maybe it was a strategic folder dropping. I don't know. But um, the, in, in my experience, juries want to know everything. They yes. don't, they don't. They don't I, like being left out. To a certain extent, they understand that, that there are some things that have to happen outside their presence. But, yes. but there's a point when it's too much. Well, and we're nosy. By nature, people are nosy. We want to know. And, and like you go back to the, you know, the way they played the confession, like we talked about, where you start, stop, start, stop. Yep, and muting it. And the jury's got to be saying, what in the hell are they hiding from us? Right. And I still want to know what happens when the jury wants to watch that confession in the jury room as they're trying to reach a verdict. Well, they, they're probably going to have to... Make do with a transcript. Well, no, I think that they don't, they're not going to get that either. There's something called the continuing witness rule. Basically, things like that don't always get to go back with the jury. They yeah. want, what would have to happen is they'd have to come back in the courtroom okay. and they'd have to do it all over again in the oh, courtroom. Okay. With okay. the judge on the bench and yeah. everybody in the room. And, and then once that's over, then they... Then they can go back. And then they go back and continue deliberating. So okay. they, it's not because you don't want to send them back in the jury room with a, an audio or a video or a, a transcript like that because right. the judge wants them to consider all of the evidence together and yes. not focus on one piece of it. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but we have got we've got a barn burner, 
and tomorrow is going to be very interesting to see which of the two Dukes, Duke or Dukes, either one, yeah. whether either one of them is going to be a witness in the case. Right. You know, I, I really want to see Bo Dukes and Ryan Duke in the courtroom at the same time. I do too. I think that would be amazing. I think that would be amazing. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? I, I got to tell you, um, for uh, for a trial of this significance, um, I think that the, the 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 sloppiness of the uh, some of the police work along the way has really um, been more than I, I I knew we were going to see some. Anybody who's followed this case knew that. Yeah. But I was kind of taken aback by by how much stuff was never really followed up on, things that could have been done better. Yeah. And, and you know, um, the, the links to which these prosecutors are going to um, obscure things, and um, even though they qu- were questioned about this and they were selected by both sides as being a fair and impartial, these are still local people. Yes, they are. And... We got into some testimony today about the rumors that were going around town. These people aren't, they, they know. I mean, yeah. They've heard the rumors, I'm sure. And, you know, you got to wonder if any of them have, have any preconceived notions about. Well, now, the judge asked about preconceived notions and, and you know, bias. And they all said that they could put that aside and just yeah. do what they were, you know, but base can their they? decision. But can they? I should hope so. I mean, you that's would, the foundation of our justice system. You would hope, you would hope so. But, I do. But also, there's human nature. Of course. And uh, so if you ask me sort of in the abstract, okay, can Holloway, can you, can you set aside any preconceived notions and leave, leave any biases that you might have out of, outside the courtroom and make your decision just based on what you hear in the courtroom? Oh, yeah, Judge, I... I I'd like to think I can do that, right? Right. But then when it comes down to it and you're actually in the jury room. It's a different story. And you're, and you're like, you know, the judge told me reasonable doubt and I just can't get this spidey sense that keeps going off in the back of my head and all these things that I've heard about Bo Dukes through the years. You know, you, you just wonder if, if in fact they really can. So it do. sounds like you think the bias would be against Bo and maybe favor Ryan a little bit, maybe work out a little bit. If there's bias, it might work out a little bit in Ryan's favor. I, I, I don't know if, if there's bias. I don't know how it could be any other bias. Okay. Um, for all the reasons we've been talking about, I mean, they, they, they tried to make a big deal about, you know, today about Ryan having a DUI, but yeah, they did. But that's not proof of murder. And it was a. <laughs> Let's, I mean, nobody's an advocate of driving under no. the influence, but Jesus, for, no. for heaven's sake, it's a it's a misdemeanor that happened years and years and years ago. Yeah. And it's just not probative of, of much of anything. Right. Bad judgment. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, it's like something that, I, I thank God every day that nobody holds things against me that I did 25, 30 years ago. And uh, so, um <laughs> I think that I think that it was it struck me as a little bit silly to try to, to make to a bring big, up the DUI to make a big stink of, of, of that you know because the question was asked by the merchants you know um, 
is Ryan a peaceable person? Is he a violent person? That kind of thing. And his so aunt was pretty glowing. She seems to really well, love her nephew. In, in Georgia, good character is always admissible as substantive evidence of innocence, basically. Okay. Um, and so when you ask a witness, uh, you know, does you know does uh, does the defendant have good character? Uh, are they a violent person, that kind of stuff, right. then they can come in and cross-examine with these specific yes. instances. Wasn't it true he got a DUI? Well, big whoop. Right. I mean... That's bad judgment. It doesn't mean he's mean. Right. Or violent. Right. And it's just... You know, and you wonder... I guarantee you there's somebody on that jury that's either themselves had a DUI or they've got a... Their kid, their, their kid spouse. or somebody, a close friend. Yeah. You know, I've represented doctors and lawyers and pilots and teachers and priests, pastors, yeah. all who we get DUI. We are not pro-DUI, but it happens. Yeah, and so, so but my point being is that on that jury, there's somebody thinking to themselves, really, you're going to make a big deal about this really, right. really old DUI? Right. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in court this week. I'm looking forward to to the defense resting and seeing the case go to the jury. Me too. And I think we're going to see that tomorrow or the next day, maybe? Yeah, Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. Maybe, yeah. That would be nice. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Nina and Phil, and thank you for listening to the Up and Vanished trial series, The Trial of Ryan Duke. Tune in Thursday as we cover the defense stating their case and Ryan Duke taking the stand. Up and Vanish is produced by Tenderfoot TV in Atlanta with production support by Core TV. Created by Payne Lindsay. Executive producer, Donald Albright. Produced by Thrasher Banks, Meredith Stedman, and Eric Quintana. Edited by Thrasher Banks. Hosting and field production by Nina Instead. Music by Makeup and Vanity Set. Sound design and mixing by Cooper Skinner. Original artwork by Trevor Eiler. Special thanks to Beth Hemphill, Julie Grant, and Philip Holloway. Check out the discussion board at upandvanish.com. If you have any questions, leave us a voicemail at 770-545-6411. For ad-free listening and Payne's exclusive Friday recap episode, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus on Apple Podcasts or visit tenderfootplus.com.